0: Welcome to the Competitive 40K Podcast, brought to you by Vanguard Tactics, 40K Codex Analysis, List Building, Strategy Development, Game Theory, Mentoring. Our mission, to help you become a better player, and to raise the level of the game both on and off the tabletop.
1: Here's your host, Stephen Box.
0: Hey, and welcome back to the Competitive 40K Podcast. I'm Stephen from Agar like Tactics, and today I'm joined with Eddie Stanton. How are you doing, Eddie? I'm good, Steve. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. And we're also joined
2: today with Jake. How are you doing, Jake? I'm very well, Steve. Thank you very much for having me.
0: No worries. Now, as you guys can probably imagine from the title, we're going to be talking all things Grey Knights today. We're going to be doing the Codex review, um, our top picks, and obviously... Eddie, we're quite lucky, aren't we? Because we've, we've got the one and only number one Grey Knight player in the UK sat next to me.
2: We do. Mr. Jake Harding. He is an esteemed honour to have. <laughs> yeah, now it is a bit of a running joke on the stream, isn't it? Yeah, it is because there's only like 11 people. At one point, there was no people. So <laughs> I'm really holding the candle for the army at the moment. And you've got two events in the back. I do. And another... Potentially, t- definitely two. Potentially three coming up as well. So that'll be good.
0: You better start scoring big, mate. Because I reckon some people are gonna be hot on your heels now. Though,
2: giving me the eyes there, Steve. I'm a bit, a bit worried, a bit shaky. Because
0: this codex is anyway. We'll come on to it. Let's not let's not go too quick. But also, we've got a spotlight at the end of this show with James from Siege with some more top epic tips for painting uh, to help you get battle ready. And that's going to be a segment that we're going to do every week. James has been extremely kind and um, agreed to do this with us. So we're going to be doing that segment at the end of the show. Now, massive thank you to all of our sponsors at VT, and um, to check out the show notes, all the sponsors. Then you can head over to the blog post uh, which will be on www.vanguardtactics.com forward slash blog forward slash s4 ep7 and that'll take you straight to the grey Knight codex but yeah massive thank you to factorum foreground entoyman c studios and jw gaming for all of our sponsors okay eddie i want to hand this show over to you mate
1: yeah looking forward to it i'm going to pick your brains um, I know you're both quite excited about this one, and there's been a little bit of rivalry um, off off the you know behind the scenes with the, uh, the codex, because I think both of you have kind of fallen in love with it for different reasons. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to get your impressions. I mean, uh, Steve, what are your first impressions? Well, codex in hand,
0: what did you think? I love it. I absolutely love it. Obviously, I saw this a while ago, and I read through it, and I was like. I cannot wait to get these silver boys on the table. So I'm actually really gutted that Jake unfortunately really likes it as well. And we've only got the one studio army and, you know, Jake's already started playing with them. Yeah. Just a bit gutted really.
2: Yeah. I bet. What about you, Jake? I think the Testament is sort of echoed there. I love the book. Um, Obviously I didn't get it as, you know, Uh, when Steve did but yeah I love the book I think it's got so many tricks especially after playing them in eighth edition very different play style to what they used to be a lot more units are now quite useful the two wounds is massive and um well Steve we did agree that I'll have them every other weekend so like a like a good fathering couple there amazing (laughs) have you
1: actually put the codex down since you got it or are you still sleeping with it
2: um, well, I'm not going to lie to you before the stream, I did have it for a few nights as my, um, bedtime reading and then ended up falling asleep with it on my face. So yeah. So all those hours trying to go into, you know, really mastering this codex.
1: Amazing.
2: So, I mean,
1: there's been a few shakeups in the, in the new codex. Some, some things are really like positive changes and there's one or two that are, what well, you, you could say a slight nurse to some of the, uh, previous rules or units, overall, like Steve, what's your impression with where the book is sort of power level wise compared to the eighth edition codex?
0: I mean, as, you know, Jake's rightly pointed out there, we've got the fact that, you know, your your general strike Marines, your interceptors have got that extra wound, which is huge. And I think now the way that powers work makes the army a much simpler to run, um, which we'll come on to later. But yeah, all in all, I do think it's an overall boost. I think, yeah, they've lost a couple of things that they had before um, which to be honest, were probably just overused. And I think now the book has got so much more variety, um, you know, and there's certainly some standout picks don't get me wrong. Um, but yeah, I do really like this one and yeah, well, I'm really looking forward to covering, you know, some of the differences, but there's certainly ways in this book to navigate around some of those things that you've potentially lost from the previous codex.
1: Yeah. I mean, the I know that one of the sort of most upfront changes is obviously their, um, the, the Aegis, um, which is their plus one to deny and their five up feel no pain for mortals. Obviously, that's, that feel no pain is, is a new thing. They used to get the plus one to cast. How do you feel like that that affects them, uh,
2: Jake? I think overall, like don't get me wrong, obviously they all get to cast powers. That plus one was super helpful. The plus one deny may not be as good in a lot of matchups, especially where you can tailor to it. But the five plus feel no pain versus mortals, in my opinion, is a massive boost for them. You know, so giving up that plus one to cast, which as we'll obviously go over later, there is ways of getting that back. Um, But overall, I do think it's a buff.
1: That's good. Because I mean, there's quite a lot of nasty stuff in the game that can do mortal wins nowadays. You've got all the bombers and that sort of stuff. Um, so I do think it could be quite nice for them to have. It's that extra level of protection as well against psychic abilities, isn't it?
2: Yeah, 100%. As I said, you know, so that five plus, you know, like you said, psychic abilities, explosions from tanks, uh, bombers, anything that could do just mortal wounds through shooting or combat. Again, really, really helpful there. So in my opinion, it's more useful overall than that plus one to cast.
1: Yeah. Definitely. I mean, Steve, what would you say, like, if obviously, you know, there's going to be a lot of people there out there on the fence about picking up Grey Knights as an army. Um, What would you say the appeal of them is?
0: Okay. So first of all, from a hobby side, so let's think about the barrier to entry is actually quite low. Um, I really like the Grey Knights as actually a beginner's army. And the reason for that is because um, not only from a hobby's perspective is it easy, you're working with marine bodies that are very easy to build. The fact that you can spray them or prime them black and then a primer of silver, and you've pretty much done most of the job, um, really helps his army get to the tabletop very quickly. But this is where it's great. So the intricacies are in the psychic powers, but what I really like about them is how each of the uh, units actually have their own blessings. So, you know, this unit of strikes has this power, which means this is much simpler than it's ever been before. Uh, It's only the characters where it can get a little bit complicated. But For me, they're a fast elite army, you know, they're no longer, um, you know, particularly sort of slow, like other Marines army, they're quick. They've got the ability to, you know, teleport around the table through different means, you know, the use of rhinos, every unit having the access to deep strike means this, this army can be where it wants when it wants. So it's powerful from psychic abilities with some fantastic combat now, um, yeah. And I think it also puts out a good amount of DACA as well. So for me, it fights in every single phase of the game. And if you really want to excel as a player, being able to fight in every phase of the game is certainly the way to go. So yeah, I love it. Elite, fast, powerful psychic army. It kind of sums it up, I think.
1: Yeah. I mean, I know you love your combat armies anyway. So I think that's one of the reasons why you've been, uh, gagging to play them. Um, uh, they definitely do seem quite flexible, and they're they're quick on the tabletop as well with all their powers.
0: Yeah, they really feel like um, in combat now. How they look, you know, these guys with these massive power swords that are like glowing psychic energy, and they really feel like they should hurt. So you cannot just um, kind of let them run around and do what they want. Now they really yeah add a punch. Yeah, they they do. they've got some really
2: cool looking models as well. Yeah, I think, again, all I would be doing is echoing the sentiment that Steve has sort of hit the nail on the head there with, really, is that obviously, yeah, I think as a beginner's army, they're a lot easier to get into. Obviously, the barrier to entry in the hobby side of things. Also, if you're looking at actually building an army, um, the box sets really lend themselves really well because you get those units of 10, which is either two units of five, and you get every single weapon option in there. Um, obviously, painting-wise, they're super simple. And then, as I said, when they play, streamlining their powers has been something that's really beneficial. Again, when I started playing them in 8th edition, it was just... A massive massive ache to try and figure out all the powers now they're set and there's no choice about it it makes it so much easier but also all the pat, all the units have the right powers that they need to have
1: yeah and i mean that low barrier to entry is also echoed by the fact that you literally just need the models and the codex and then you can just get going there's no extra books or anything um so it is definitely a great beginner's army i think so onto some of their faction specific benefits you've got um
0: masters of the warp now steve Tell me a little bit about that. Okay, so basically you get something called tides and there's different tides that you can choose from at the start of the battle round. uh, And this is the start of the game, um, which means it's really flexible for depending on who you're fighting. And there's also ways to change the tide as well. Now, some of these can be quite defensive, for example, giving you light cover to potentially up to a minus one to hit. Um, And others can be a little bit more uh, geared around actually um, you know, doing more damage in combat or in shooting. So depending on your, um, you know, the opponent that you're up against, you can change the tide, as it were, to really suit that, which is absolutely awesome for some tactical flexibility.
1: Yeah, they do seem very flexible. Obviously, being able to change the tide is very powerful.
0: Um, are there any
1: particular standout ones for you,
0: Steve? For me, the I really enjoy the one which, when you roll a six to wound, you do a mortal wound. I mean, why don't, wouldn't you like that in combat? So um, it doesn't work in the shooting phase, sadly. But for combat, yeah, doing being able to do that extra mortal wound on a six is absolutely fantastic. But it also increases the range of your Nemesis weapons by six as well, which means that, you know, some of those grandmasters or those Nemesis, um, or Dreadknights, should I say, with those Nemesis weapons, just getting that little bit extra range because they're quite short typically on their stat lines. So just getting that extra six can really make a big difference turn one.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'm going to put you on the spot here now um, because there's been a little bit of controversy over this rule um, with the exploding sixes. Um, There is a, I believe is it a litany that interacts with it that causes you to be able to do two mortals?
0: Yeah. So basically what happens is there's a litany from a chaplain and essentially when you roll a six to wound, it causes another wound. Now there's a, there's a line at the bottom of that statement, which can be interpreted as you also do an additional mortal wound on the, on the mortal wound that you're already doing. So there's different ways to interpret this though. Essentially what could happen is you roll a six to wound and it does two mortal wounds. And it also does two wounds that obviously then need to be saved. Now, when we actually look at this, if the first time I read this through, I actually interpreted it as the fact that you do another wound from rolling a six, which needs to be saved like any other sort of attack. However, I did interpret this and this is what we've been using on stream is that it doesn't give you the second mortal wound. The, the line that I read it as was just basically clarifying that you still get the mortal wound from the tide and it like doubling up a wound doesn't, prevent you from getting that mortal wound. That was the way that I interpreted it. Now this is the, you know, sometimes a problem with the English language that things can be interpreted in different ways. Now, why have I also interpreted that way? Because it's a little bit fairer um, in my opinion, because otherwise there's some of the stacks and combos that you can get where we can, you know, I can talk about this stack later where this unit could do maybe up to 40 mortal wounds from coming from one unit, which is absolutely ludicrous even them doing potentially 20 with all the stacks and buffs and everything else, 20 mortal wounds in addition to their damage is crazy good anyway. So it does not need to be 40 in my opinion. So I'm interpreted as you do the double more, you do the double wound, but you don't do the double mortal wound. And that's what we've been playing on stream as a, as a team. That's what we're going to be
2: using. Um, I'm sure Jake, you're going to be using it like that at the tournament when you next play. Oh, a hundred percent. I think, um, I think again, you hit the nail right on the head there, Steve, there's the interpretation. And obviously the English language is such a vast thing that, you know, so many words can mean so many things, but I think it's good to just clarify, you know, I'll be saying at the start of every game, look, I know there's a lot of controversy around the double mortal wounds. I will just be playing it as I do two wounding hits, but one mortal wound in total. Yeah, no, perfect. Um, cause what can end up happening and I don't want to give the rest
0: of the show away. So I'm going to come back to the stack at the very end. All right. The crazy, mortal wound stack will cover that as a top pick at the end, but yeah, just to quickly cover the tides, there's five to pick from, uh, as I mentioned, the tide of convergence, which gives you that six extra range. Uh, and obviously you do a wound on a six as a mortal. You've then got the tide of the, um, I want to say celery, but it's not, it's, uh, what is it, Jake? It's clarity. Yeah, there we go. Tide yeah. of celery, everyone. Yeah. I mean, there we go. Celery, the tide of celery for me. <laughs>
2: I know uh, you love your celery, Steve.
0: Mm. Okay. Now this one's actually really quite nice because it means that every time you roll a one or a two on an advance or a charge, it counts as a three, which means that the minimum that you're ever going to need on a charge, um, is going to be a, as long as you're within seven, you automatically make that charge, which is awesome. So I think that's really, really nice there. You've then got the tides shadows, uh, which helps with gaining light cover. Um, if you're over 12 away and if you already have light cover, then you get the benefits of dense cover, um, we've then got the tide of escalation as well. Um, where, when this tide is dominant for your army in your psychic phase, if your army includes any brotherhood psychic detachments, each time this unit selects to uh, manifest a psychic power, um, it can also basically attempt its same brotherhood psychic power. And we're going to come onto that later and why that's important. Uh, but then you've also got the tide of banishment, and this is the one which is good against demons. Uh, so if you're facing demons then you might want to look at this one, but it sort of modifies leadership. Um, And you basically get a reroll of a hit of one and a wound roll of one every time you make an attack against a demon unit. So there's certainly some things to play for there. But I think if you're sticking within, you know, any of those four tides that we first spoke about, they're all good. You know, you might situationally start off in the Tide of Shadows to get the cover and the dents and then, you know, maybe move into the tide of uh, clarity um you know to really get you across the table then maybe go in the tide of convergence towards the end when you really want to dish out as many mortal wounds as you can from combat yeah really good
1: i mean the tide of shadows seems very good if you go second obviously you can hunker down and try and survive that first round
2: yeah well that's the good thing with the tides isn't it is that um, because you get to pick your first one after the roll off it really gives you that um you know that ability to be able to go right. If I'm going first, probably the Tide of Clarity is a really good one, so you can get get off the board really well. And um, if you go second, if you're playing versus a mass shooting army, Tide of Shadows. I really like the Tide of Escalation, and we'll go on obviously why into when we talk about brotherhoods and stuff. Um, but yeah, they all they all have a different use, and it's all sort of depending on what you're playing versus.
1: Yeah, definitely. So on the subject of brotherhoods, Jake, what's your what are your sort of
2: standouts? Give me one of them. Uh, so for me and as me and Steve were talking about, sorry, just a in guys probably worth explaining what a brotherhood is
0: and a brotherhood is the, think of it like a chapter within the chapter of gray So you have to pick one of the brotherhoods for your detachment. Um, and again, you're going to get some sort of army wide benefit where you're basically going to get a stratagem. You're going to get a psychic power and you get a ward or trait. So we've seen this often, often, in kind of other books where they get a little bit of unique flavor, but instead of getting a relic, they get a psychic power instead. So yeah, basically each detachment, uh, can then also be from a different brotherhood as well. And there's some limits around what you can and cannot take in the same brotherhood. For example, the, you know, you can't take multiple grandmasters from the same brotherhood, uh, which just keeps it in that sort of thematic part of the law as well. So yeah,
2: Sorry, Jake, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to make that super clear for people what the brotherhood was. That's right, Steve, no problem. Well, for me, I've got, I've got, I've got two favorites, but obviously we're going to cover, we're going to cover the other one after Steve has um, covered his. But for me, I really like the sword bearers. So this one is the one that benefits like tanks and such. So vehicles to be more specific. Um, so they have a two CP strategy where they can get plus one to hit with their range weapons versus a target. They're also their psychic powers. You can pick a unit within 18 inches and then you get plus one to wound with vehicles when you shoot that target. So again, that's very, very useful for when you're, you know, so mainly for your dread knights and um, I think dread knights, the normal dread knight is a really standout unit for me in the army. And uh, with, with my list that I'm sort of planning on without revealing too much, there is three of them. So spicy. The great
0: thing about that stratagem is you pick an enemy unit within 12 of yours. So that means that all of your units that target that enemy unit get the plus one to hit rather than you pick one of your units to get plus one to hit on. So and that works the same for picking an enemy unit to get that plus one to wound against as well. So it's, you know, it's not just you're buffing one unit. You're actually buffing all of them, providing that you've set up your movement phase correctly. And they're all within, you know, line of sight and range to get those buffs off.
1: Yeah, that could be really powerful, especially against the to the last unit that you really need to take down.
2: Yeah, it, it's really good versus obviously like Steve said, you know, like it, obviously at the moment where we're seeing so many sort of like big scary units and such. It means that you can just for two CP and one spell, you've just got like a whole lot of efficiency on one thing. It also turns those normal dread knights into nearly Grandmaster levels in terms of their hitting and their wounding. And then obviously with, with them having the core keyword as well, they get all the benefits of the rerolls and spells and such.
1: Yeah, amazing. Yeah, them getting the core keyword is a real big glow up for them. Um, So, Steve, onto your
0: first pick. Okay, so there is one pick, but I'm going to let Jake talk about that one. As you know how much I know, I love combat. So I'm going to go down slightly different routes, and I'm going to go look at some of these brotherhoods for a little bit more utility rather than damage output. So one of them for me is Blades of Victory. Now, Blades of Victory, I really like their Warlord trait. And the reason for that is because it allows... After deployment, your warlord and a core unit within nine to pre-game move six inches. Now a unit of, uh, you know, obviously you could put this on a grandmaster. So therefore they could be moving, you know, six inches before and then obviously getting their huge movement that they get on the data sheet. Or you could put this on a unit of interceptors, which move 12 naturally. So you're moving six, then moving 12 and then charging. So if you want a good first turn charge, you've got an 18 inch move before you're even, um, you know basically making your first attempt of your charge, which is I think unbelievable. Um, so yeah, I really like that. Um, then they've got a nice psychic power as well. Reroll charges again, helping you get that, you know, removing the failure points from the charge phase. And then also their stratagem, uh, which again is quite good with your, uh, interceptors. Um, you basically do mortal wounds on the charge. Um, if you can exceed the toughness of your enemy characteristic you basically roll a dice for each enemy model with an engagement range and then so against you know things like rangers or vanguard which are toughness three you roll if you've got a unit of 10 roll 10 dice over threes um as you need to yeah equal or exceed so any threes or mores against those drakari or sisters you just do lots of mortal wounds on the way in which is always nice that then gives you the ability to pile in a little bit further get more models um you know potentially in the engagement range or get wraps on or whatever else you need before you then want to take down the unit consolidate and maybe tag something else so very good bit of utility there um yeah so for me of victory nice little utility one
1: yeah it sounds really powerful i mean we know the power of pregame moves from necrons and it, it being able to just scoot up the board that fast is amazing so yeah i can see that that would be good So Jake, what's your second favorite one? And I know that this is the one that you've pinched off of Steve. Um, So I'm sure there's some jealousy in his eyes currently, but tell us all about it.
2: Yeah, we definitely are sharing the responsibilities on this one. This is the one that I've had to take from him, sadly. Um, But yeah, so that is the Rapiers Brotherhood. So obviously the Warlord trait allows the Warlord to advance and charge. So again, really, really useful on that Knight Grandmaster if you do want it, Um, or some other combos you can have with like Brother Captains and Grandmasters. Um, their psychic power, which I think is one of the standout things for them is that, um, it's a blessing you cast on the unit and it's doing it and they get plus one attack. So again, really, really useful to be able to stack with a few other things. And then finally, again, something that is really useful for them is that one CP stratagem for exploding sixes in combat uh, to hit. So what we mean by exploding sixes for all those listening is that when you roll
0: a hit of a six, it also scores an additional hit. So let's say you roll 12 dice and you, you know, statistically should roll two sixes, you would actually then score an additional two hits without needing to roll anything. So you're really fishing for those sixes to just multiply your hit rolls.
2: Yeah, and obviously what's really useful with that is that, you know, it just says rapier unit. So again, you can do it on your characters, you can do it on a big unit of strikes as an example. So again, if you combo all that together with a banner, got with with swords which i think is the more optimal way to go with your strikes you get five attacks each strength five exploding sixes it's all really good there in it
0: yeah because your strikes get three attacks base and then obviously that with the power takes you up to the four and then also there's another way to get additional attack as well so you can get up to five uh with anyway we can come to the profiles of weapons later but yeah certainly very powerful
1: wow yeah i can see why you like that one Stephen. So what's your second pick? Obviously, um, this is this one's a little bit more um, unique. I think it's got a, a character involved in it as well, hasn't it? Tell us about it.
0: Yeah, so for me, this is the Ward Makers. And this is actually something that after playing the Grey Knights, I started to look into a little bit more after seeing some uh holes or weaknesses in my list is as we teach on the academy it's always about you know doing your swot analysis your strengths your weaknesses your threats and your opportunities and for me the ward makers really help out on a lot of the opportunities because i was taking the rapiers and i was like yeah doing lots of damage but i didn't really need that excessive amount of damage Um, but what i needed was some of these abilities so the first one is the warlord trait called the lawmaster now this is actually the uh, the warlord trait that Voldus can have if you take Voldus and he's just so efficient for his points. Um and basically anytime you roll an 8 or more on a psychic power warp charge, you cannot be denied, which is massive when you're trying to cast psychic actions um or you you really need that one particular important power to go off like that plus 1 damage power will come onto you later it's incredible. So I really, really like to be undeniable. Now, the next one is their psychic power. And this is where you can pick an enemy unit within 12. And until the start of your next psychic phase, that unit is not affected by the aura abilities of models from its own army. So let's take a unit of, um, or a unit of zephyrin that are getting full rerolls um, or, sorry, rerolls to hit of one in wound to one by Morbian Valve. They're getting a six plus fame from a Hospitaller. They're also getting, um, you know, potentially a plus one in runnable save as well from a Warlord trait. You can just say, no, you're not getting any of that. So, for me, that's huge to be able to turn off those auras. Now, the next one is a 1CP stratagem, and you can replace one of your psychic powers. And I can tell you, like for your characters, that's so important um, because sometimes you might lose that character. That gives you the ability to change the tide or maybe you'd lose that one, which gives you the plus one damage for whatever reason. One CP, change it out. Brilliant. So you can just have those psychic powers exactly where you need them for that one CP. It's just a really good utility option. Yeah.
1: I mean, that is great because I know that I've previously in games where I've played against Grey Knights, if they do lose their character that's able to change the titles, they're in deep trouble. So being able to change it over to someone else is amazing. Also, as a Dark Angels player, turning off auras terrifies me. Because if you just stop my Talon Master being
0: affected by the bodyguard rule, I'd be in a bit of trouble. That wouldn't be nice, would it, mate? It wouldn't be very nice, would it, Steve? Um, he's just stood next to two little guys that will protect him in not three yeah. models.
1: Oh, Yes. Yeah, that is powerful, definitely. Um, So in 9th edition codexes, we've seen some new character upgrades or even unit upgrades for points. Um, The ones for the Grey Knights are called the Wisdom of the Prognosticars. Steve, can you just explain exactly what they are, how they work?
0: Yeah, so with the Grey Knights, they're a little bit different to what we've seen in the past in the fact that there not only is 12 to pick from, Um, which is a huge variety. But a lot of these, these can actually be given to any Grey Knight character. However, what you can't do is use these abilities more than once because they are all once per battle. Um, So that just means that you have to really be selective of which ones you're taking and also on what character. Now, one of the other thing is a named character cannot be given it, unfortunately. Um, But yeah, aside from that, yeah, but they are not considered relics or anything of those different elements. So you can still have a, a relic or a warlord trait and also uh, one of these wisdoms as well. I won't even try, and, uh, try to say the second word. But anyway, um, yeah, so that's briefly in a nutshell how they work.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a bit different to what we've seen because most of the time there'll just be some sort of flat upgrade to something. But that's very fun. I, I quite like that they get that unique spin on it. Um, Jake, are there any that stand out for you?
2: So I do have one that I'm that I think in every single grey night list I've put in without fail. It's one of the first things that goes on my characters, and this one is called the foretelling of locus. So this is a you can only use it once per battle because you only get one opportunity to use it, and that is after deployment. Um, you can select up to three Grey Knight core units from your army and redeploy them as per the mission. If you do want to put them in Strategic Reserve or anything, then you don't have to spend the CP. Now, there's a few reasons why I really, really like this. So the first one is that the key word here is Grey Knight core. So it's not limited to a Brotherhood. So you can have your multiple Brotherhood attachments and you can then, if you need to, redeploy any unit from different Brotherhoods. So again, for, for example, with my list where I'm running two Brotherhoods, it doesn't matter who this is on. Um, and then second obviously redeploys a massive in you know this game especially with obviously if you don't go first then you can bring your units back a bit if you do go first you can take from more defensive deployment to a bit more offensive deployment so it really gives you options there and for 30 points it works out as 10 points a unit you get to redeploy so yeah i think this one for me is a must-have in your grey Knight army
1: yeah that sounds very powerful and it's so cheap as well if you look at Probably one of the only equivalents I can think of is the um, Catan Shard. The Deceiver has a very similar power, but he's 350 points. So that really is amazing that you can get that for just 30. Um, Stephen, is there anything else that stands out for you?
0: Yeah, I mean, again, um, this stack for me is great. So once per battle, it's called the Heroism's Favor. Um, At the end of the charge phase, you can pick one of your friendly core units within 12 of the model and it can heroically intervene as a character. So obviously when the whole game relies around holding and maintaining objectives, when you can have incredibly powerful, you know, combat units that are right in the center of that objective, so they can heroically intervene to three inches to any part of the uh, surrounding part of the objective, just means that you can, or like your opponent, can't just put that unit of, I don't know, like five rangers or five... Even Space Marines on an objective, because that, for example, that Nemesis uh, the Nemesis uh, Dread knight might just heroically intervene, or um, you know, a unit of Strike Marines can heroically intervene, and then obviously pick up that troop unit that's trying to steal that objective off you. So incredibly powerful, once per game.
1: Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, heroics are always good, especially on uh, non-characters. You can just sneak them in there and get a bit of extra damage off. Um, can really win you the game. That one. Um, now I believe that Grey Knights, obviously, they they've had chaplains before, but they they retain chaplains as a as a thing going forwards. Um, their litanies are called litanies of purity. Um, I don't know whether or not there's anything in particular that jumps out of you. Obviously, we discussed the one earlier uh, about the exploding or oh, well, the, the mortals on sixes. Um, anything else that you you really like, Steve?
0: Yeah. So for me, this one's called. Um, they all get a standard, should I say the reroll hits like most, um, uh, it's called litany of expulsion, which is an aura. So basically any core unit or gray knight character within six gets reroll hits like we've seen in the space marine codex. Um, so that's the when you come with, you then you get to pick another. My favorite one is actually called the invocation of focus. This is another aura ability, which I really like. Um, and basically when it's inspiring, a Grey Knight core or character unit within six of the priests. Each time you attempt to manifest a blessing, you add plus one to that psychic test. So this is your blessing. So every single unit comes with a blessing, whether it's hammer hand, which we'll come on to later, you know, that plus one attack that, you know, Jake mentioned. This is a way to navigate around the fact that on the Aegis, you've only got the plus one to deny, no longer the plus one to cast. So again, getting this plus one to cast in, brilliant, just makes, again, these psychic powers so much more um, reliable to go off a lot more consistent and again i found this through playing the army i didn't need the extra damage i didn't need the double uh, wounds I, what i needed most was getting my psychic powers off because that's much more important
1: yeah especially against something like thousand suns which you've obviously played a couple of well we've played a couple of times on stream recently um that can be really useful uh, as can the undeniable uh, psychic powers for the ward makers Jake, are there any other ones that really jumped out at you when you first read through these?
2: Yeah, so so this one's a bit more of a meta pick for myself at the moment. We're obviously, you're going to see a lot of Thousand Suns, equally probably a lot of Grey Knights as well. Potentially other psychers from other armies. So this one is called the ref- Refrain of Convergence. So this is you target. You pick a unit within six Grey Knight core unit. And they can't be affected by enemy psychic powers. If they're already in being affected by them, they stop being affected by enemy psychic powers. So what this means is for things like your death hexes, your null zones, your half, um, your ghostly bonds as well, if you play into the mirror matchup, um, anything like that, you then have the ability just to go, nope, no more. So if you unfortunately didn't get that deny, it just means that you can just instantly take off of them.
1: Wow, yeah, that's, that's incredibly powerful.
0: Yeah. The other thing it says, this litany is inspiring select one unit within six. It doesn't even say that it needs to be a core unit it could be any unit. And that also at the moment rules is written could be any unit. So that's not even a gray knight unit. And that doesn't even mean that has to be one of your units either. You could potentially, um, because it says that unit and all models it contains stop being affected by any psychic powers that has been affected. So you could potentially do that on an enemy unit if you so wished for some reason.
1: Yeah. Turn off some of the buffs. Brilliant.
2: I knew it was good.
1: Yeah. Is, that sounds amazing to to be honest with you. Um, now the stratagems for the Grey Knights have had a bit of a rejig. I've uh, been shaken up a little bit. I think you've lost a couple and gained a few. So, I mean, I'll I'll jump over to you, Steve, and you can maybe just go through a couple that you really like, and then we'll talk to you as well, Jake, about it, because there's quite a lot to go through here. Yeah, I completely agree,
0: Eddie. I think there's some fantastic strategies in this codex, um, and I think you're going to soon find yourself running out of CPs extremely quickly. So I'm going to kick off with one. And this is probably a been overlooked by a lot of people. But for me, again, it's a staple in my army. And it's one I cast or use every single turn. It's two CPs and it's called Psychic Locus. Use a strategy at the start of your psychic phase. Select one brother captain model from your army until the end of the phase. Then you basically gain an aura ability, which gives you plus one to your psychic tests. Incredible. But that is brotherhood psychers. This just means that you've got, um, the you know ability to cast those psychic actions, which we can come on to later with the secondary is just a lot more reliable. Obviously, for blessings, this will then stack with your chaplains who are getting plus two to cast. It just means that you're automatically pretty much casting, you know, 70 to 80% of your psychic powers with that plus two to cast. And for two CPs, yeah, brilliant. It it prevents you needing re-rolls. It's going to help you tip over that edge when it comes to um, for example, getting that super smite off if that happens. So yeah, absolutely love it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just another way for you to really secure those casts, isn't it? Um,
2: Jake, what about you? So I really like this strategy uh, mainly just due to the wording of it. So it's called The Finest Hour. So it's one CP. And what it does is you select a Grey Knight brother, a Grey Knight character, sorry, I have always said brotherhood character, at the start of any phase. And you can increase their aura by three inches so this codex um sorry this stratagem used to be in the old codex but only was limited to grandmasters and brother captains whereas now you can use it on anybody so with it being at the start of the phase it means that you can just select what phase you don't have to worry about it being in a command phase or anything but also because it lasts to the end of the turn it means that you're getting so much utility in there for that one cp
1: yeah. Can you give us some examples of what you might use that on in an in a average game just to sort of boost that aura range up?
2: So I used it the other day on my banner bearer for the plus three inches on his banner. So it meant everyone within nine got plus one attack. Obviously you can use it on a brother captain for reroll ones to um, wound. So you can get nine inches on that. Grandmaster re-rolls plus three. And there's a whole other abundance of things that you'll see as obviously we go through the sort of relics and stuff that you can also use it on as well. So yeah, I think that's very, very useful.
1: Yeah, brilliant. Back to you, Steve.
2: Okay, so
0: this one for me, um, basically, this was in the previous book and it allows your character to fight in death so that I've used this, you know, in our bat report, Eddie, didn't I, um, that we yeah. did on stream where my Nemesis Grandmaster unfortunately f- uh, fell in combat uh, Two CP's final justice a strategy in the fight phase. And basically do not remove that model from play it can fight after attacks basically are finished um yeah and then after you've resolved it then you're dead but yeah absolutely incredible so uh, yeah
1: yeah i mean that caused a huge swing in our game um just took you over that quarter of the board really um so amazing really like that one
2: um jake what are you what are you thinking next So I really like Psychic Channeling, so that's uh, one CP stratagem, and then it means that you do it before a Grey Knight uh, Psyker does any of his spells, and then he gets to roll 3d6, pick the highest on each of his spells. So again, that's just super, super useful, especially if, you know, you're using someone like Drago, Voldus, a librarian, someone who's going to be casting multiple powers. Equally, also, you could just use it on a unit that's only going to do one power, but a very, very important one. So yeah, I really, really rate that one, especially for one CP, you get so much utility there.
1: Yeah, and I can imagine that tandems really well with that getting a eight to cast to make it undeniable.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, brilliant. It's all about, I mean, they seem like they've got some amazing bits of kit in the codex just to make those psychic powers really go off, um, which is what's important at the end of the day for this army. Um, so yeah, Steve, back over to you. Any any others that particularly jump out at you that you thought, you know, wow, this is a really good strat? Yeah,
0: so my next one, my next top picks is called fight on the move it's one cp and you can basically shoot and charge even if you fall back so um yeah what's not to like that but you need to have the teleporter keyword which is the interceptors and if you've paid the 10 point upgrade uh for your uh, dread knights or you know grandmaster dread so yeah one cp fall back and shoot and charge amazing on those you know such high point cost models yeah
1: yeah. Especially if you're going to be teleporting in anyway, like if you teleport a unit into the back lines, charge it in, oftentimes it gets bogged down, but being able to pull back, shoot, and then get back into a different like priority target. It's really useful. So Jake, any others that really jumped out at you?
2: Yeah. So, so this one's called uh powerful adept. So it's one CP and you basically get plus six inches on your range on your spells. So again, It just means that you can stay a bit safer with your your ranges and stuff. It also means, for example, like if you're using um, purifiers, let's say, and you have that purifying flame psychic power, you can deep strike in, use that stratagem, and then you're definitely going to be within range to use it because purifying flame is normally a nine inches. It turns that into a 15 inches. So again, super, super useful in my opinion for one CP.
1: Yeah, brilliant. One more last one from you, Steve.
2: Um, Yeah, what I would just say is that
0: Pretty much what this book is fantastic at. It's given every unit a, a basically a different stratagem. So the paladins have one, terminators have one, purifiers, um, or one that you would definitely use purifiers on anyway. Um, and then also, there's it, just they've done a really good job at giving every single unit a reason to take. Uh, but the biggest change probably out of the stratagems is the fact that transhuman is still in this book, and that basically means you can't be uh, wounded on a one two or a three. Um, but it's now called or true silver armor and it's two CPs. Otherwise if you've got more than five models, um, it's going to cost you three CPs. Um, so if you've basically got six or more models, it's going to cost you three, but again, it's still in the book. I haven't even used it yet. Um, but, um, yeah, still brilliant. Um, yeah. And there's even, you know, some really good stratagems, for example, like the zone of warding. Um, it's a reason to take a ward stave in your army because then it can give you a, a five plus, uh, invulnerable save for the turn. Um, or if, if you're a terminator unit, you can go up to a four plus. So again, it depends on the points cost of how many models you've got, but brilliant, uh, just so much utility in this book. There's literally a stratagem for every occasion, which is exactly what you want.
1: Yeah. I mean, we don't have time to go over every single one today. But yeah, I mean, they sound like some really good standouts to me. So I think what we'll do now is jump over to the Warlord traits. Um, I believe there are a couple of good ones. I don't know whether you can tell us about one, Jake.
2: Yeah, so so my personal favourite one is called the Unyielding Anvil. So this is an aura ability that affects all Grey Knight core and Grey Knight characters, so yet again, not having to be limited by that Brotherhood keyword for that one. And what this does is it gives you the objective secured special rules you can find in the Warhammer 40,000 rulebook. So what that means is that if you walk onto an objective, and there isn't other troop unit or other unit with this uh, ruling, it means you automatically take that objective off of them. If you already have that rule, however, you count as an additional model for the purposes of capturing that objective, which, again, in an army where you're not seeing tons of models, is super, super good.
1: Yeah, it's just like a better version of Rights of War, isn't it, really?
2: Yeah, it's more like the um, steadfast example from the chapter ancient in the Space Marine Codex. So, yeah, really, really good here.
1: Yeah, fantastic. What about you, Steve?
0: Um, a little bit of a stack
2: that I take
0: on my um, brother captain, um, and this is called the Hammer of the Righteousness. Basically, when you make an attack, uh, if you charged, was charged, provoked, or performed a heroic intervention, you get plus one to your wound roll. So again, uh, that's going to come off well, just pretty much every single time this guy's getting into combat. Um, yeah, absolutely brilliant and there's also ways to get two warlord traits on a character as well and if you combine this with your rapier's advance in charge brother captain with a relic i'm going to come on to talk about he's an absolute beast so yeah for me standout unit there and with this standout warlord trait because I
1: remember in the game that we played on stream, you you had first of the fray um, on one of your dreadnights, I believe, which is plus one to advance and charge. And that and that's pretty scary, especially if you can advance and charge.
0: Yeah, and then when you do make a charge, um, then your friendly units get plus one to charge against the unit that you also charged as well. So it's also quite nice. Yeah,
1: that's a nice little combo. Um, before we move on to relics, are there any others that you want to go over?
0: I think that's most of them, really, because we covered most of them in the Brotherhoods. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's it for me for that one.
1: Thank you, Dave. So relic-wise, is there anything that you think is a sort of an auto-include or ones that you've been testing out that you really liked? Over to you, Jake.
2: Yeah, so this one, again, is a bit more dependent on the character in your army. Um, So this one is called the Artisan's Nullifier Matrix. So what this is, this is limited librarian model only, but it means that when a Grey Knight Psyker from your army takes, um, within, within nine of him, takes a perils, he ignores it. So again, that's really, really useful for me. Um, it just takes those failure points out, but it also means that if you're having to play against anything that, you know, say you perils on a double, anything like that, um, you're not having to worry about it. And again, you do have to take that librarian, but there's a few combos you can put on him to make him super, super, uh, super, super, hitty So, Yeah.
1: Yeah, I've heard of one or two combos that you can do with him, definitely. And that'd be good for you, Steve, wouldn't it? Because you like perils
0: Oh, you know me, mate. Double one. one's got my name on it.
1: I think you had three perils in one game, didn't you, once on stream? In a row, yeah, probably. <laughs> okay, so um, anything else, Steve, that you think jumped
0: out? Yeah, so this is the relic that I take on my brother, Captain. It's called the Soul Glove, And it's a Nemesis Force Halberd only. Uh, it gives you plus two strength, minus three AP, and flat two damage. Each time an attack is made with this weapon, you can reroll the hit and reroll the wound roll. Whoa. So we've essentially got a little baby Morvian Val but with plus one to wound. So your strength six with plus one to wound. I mean, you're you're wounding knights on fours uh, with that. um, You know, you're wounding most, you're wounding your regular Marines in death guard on twos in combat. I mean, that's incredible. Rerolling hits and wounds. What's not to like? Um, Yeah. And there's an easy way of getting up to damage three as well with a psychic power. So I love it.
1: Yeah, that's really good. And obviously, Since you're not playing sisters, if you're playing Grey Knights, I assume you want to get more than Val into every list, don't you, Steve? So this at least gets you some of the way there.
0: I mean, he's painted gold and he's got a
2: little baby carrier. So yeah, straight in.
1: Yep. Love it. Okay, cool. Jake, back to you.
2: Um, So this one is called The Star for Supremacy. So this is a, again, I'm just trying to think of a a few more unique ones that people may have sort of skimmed over on their first read of the book or equally if you haven't read the book. Um, So this is a model with a nemesis walling stave only. Um, and what this means is that it gives you an aura of while within 18 inches, the enemy units perils on any double. So again, it's really good. I'm trying to think a bit more for if you're going to see a lot of fountain suns, this is really, really good in that mirror matchup you have. Um, Equally as well, if you're playing against an army with only one Psyker, you can really sort of force that model into the middle of the table where most of your army will be. Um, and it gives you that massive extending of the aura. And again, you could even use that um that lovely stratagem that we talked about uh, finest hour to increase that by three inches. So 21 inch any perils um, is on a double Then just instead of double six and double one. So yeah, I really like that personally.
1: Yeah, fantastic. And uh, Steve, one last pick.
2: Um, do you know what? I think that's most of them really. Um,
0: yep. There is one last one, which I think most people have already probably seen, but it's called the sigil of ex- exurgence. I think uh, once per battle when you're opponent's shooting phase, you can basically redeploy your um, character. Now your character can still be targeted as a pick. Uh, so what basically happens is let's say you've put this on your nemesis red knight, right? You can, when he's selected as a target, you can redeploy him anywhere nine inches away from ever models. Okay. Now it says if the bearer is no longer an eligible target, your opponent can then select a new eligible target, right? However, if this is like a big unit, So let's say it's a drawn out unit, uh, maybe like a big unit of Vanguard or Rangers that wanted to shoot your uh, nemesis grandmaster. Then what you can do is just redeploy them on a battlefield within range of maybe one or two models, but not the entire unit. So now that unit has to still pick your model because that is what they chose. Um, So, yeah, again, it's just sort of splitting up some of the efficiencies there um in a, a great way to just keep those characters safe but there's also another one as well which is called the uh, argument scrolls and it basically and a model with a nemesis weapon only each time the bear is selected to fight you can re-roll one hit and wound and one wound roll um which is brilliant because obviously a nemesis grandmaster has nemesis uh, weapons uh so you know just getting a re-roll there where you don't normally get them very very nice
1: yeah it's extra bit of
0: efficiency Probably should cover some of the powers, right?
1: Yeah. Um, so the powers are obviously one of the defining things about the Grey Knights because they are a, a psychic army at the end of the day. So um, what do you think is the real sort of powerhouse powers? Over to you, Steve.
0: Well, you've basically got two disciplines. You've got your Sanctus discipline, which is basically your Psyker units, like your Strike Marines, your Terminators. They all come with one inbuilt, Okay. Um, and basically, each time you cast that same power, because you can cast the same power, and even if it's been attempted by another unit, which is, I think, one of the first times we've ever seen this in a codex where you can cast the same power multiple times. Um, but basically, every time you do try and cast it, you increase the warp value by one. So let's say Hammer Hand, which is a really common power we'll see on things like Nemesis Dread Knights, um, we'll see them on Strike Teams, Terminators, you get reroll wounds. Okay, so the first unit does it on a five, the second unit would do it on a six, and so on. Um, you've then got uh, astral aim, which is for the um, perjigators, where they basically can reroll a hit, um, and they also um, you don't you can ignore cover with that as well. Um, you've then also got armored resilience. This is something that would go onto like your, your dreadnoughts to give them plus one save. Uh, so yeah, it, it's really really useful I think and you've then also got the ethereal castigators which go on the interceptors where they can basically make a normal move after they've shot. But this happens in the shooting phase. This unit can move out, shoot, move back, hide behind some line of sight blocking terrain. So some really good uh, psychic powers there. Uh, But then you've also got the dominus discipline, which your characters can pick from. And you've still got gate, which allows you to teleport around the table. You've got empiric amplification where you pick an enemy unit within 12 and you can get plus one damage to that attack, sanctuary, uh, you just gain a flat four plus invulnerable save on a friendly granite unit, uh, and then warp shaping where you can change the tide. So for me, they're the real standouts. In even like the classics like Vortex of Doom for just spamming out some mortal wounds are still in here as well. So yeah, some really solid powers, and you really want to mix and match these. Uh, so I always like to have, um, you know, my powers from my characters doubled up. So a character that can't be targeted because, you know, they're under 10 wounds I'll have with something like Warp Shaping to change the tide in Amplification. And then on maybe some of my uh, Grandmaster Dread Knights, I'll have probably some of those powers again, but also with maybe like a Sanctuary or a, a Gate thrown in some of the lesser important ones so that's typically how i balance mine what about you jake any sort of difference on opinions on those
2: i think you hit the nail on the head there steve there is one however i do want to talk about which i found really useful and that is the sixth power the one of the only ones you didn't mention and the dominus discipline called ghostly bonds so this is cast on a Warp charge five and you pick an enemy unit with an 18 and that unit halves its move um and advance so again that's super super useful for when you're you know, let's say if you're playing versus a flyer, something like those um, Archaeopter Fusilas from the Adeptus Mechanicus, um, any other really fast unit, maybe from, uh, from the Drakari army, it just can sort of really halt it right in its tracks there. So, yeah, I really love that power and I've used it a few times now. Yeah,
1: brilliant. I mean, they're, they're, they're very toolboxy, the powers for the Grey Knights. They're not as offensive as the Thousand Suns, so obviously, because that's their area of expertise, but they, they have a lot of flexibility in what they can do, don't they?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, we'll, we'll go on to something that basically a lot of the time seems to be making or breaking a codex, which is the secondaries that, that it comes with. Um, Steve, do you want to enlighten us on any sort of really good choices that stand out?
0: Yeah, well, the first thing I would say as well is with obviously Grey Knights, every unit's a Psyker. So uh, if an opponent doesn't have um, a Psyker in their army, all of a sudden a Boar the Witch becomes a really good pick against it. Um, but yeah, there's one in particular that I really like and it's Warpcraft and basically each of your units can do this on a different objective. Uh, while you're within three of it, if you get the action off, it's a psychic action does mean you can't cast any other powers. But for each one you do it on, you will score a number of points. So in a turn, if you do it on one objective, you score one point. If you do it on two, you'll score two points. If you do it on three objectives, you'll score four points, uh, which is kind of that sweet spot. So um, you get that off three times for three turns. That's a nice, easy 12 in the bank. So um, yeah, I really like that one. So we should probably move on to looking at some of the character and unit highlights, right?
1: So yeah, unit highlights. There are some spicy choices in this codex. Um Jake, do you want to take us away with your favorite character?
2: Yeah, for for me it's got to be the main man Calgor Drago, just purely because I see a lot of people, you know, mixing brotherhoods because of obviously where there's certain bonuses and he just gives his rerolls and all of his bonuses to just normal gray knights no matter what brotherhood. So yeah, for me he's a massive standout personally. What about you, Steve?
0: Yeah, one thing on Caldor as well is um he's actually got a three plus invulnerable save, which we don't often see in the game. Mm. He acts like a full chapter master, um, but he's got a wording called Supreme Grandmaster, not Grandmaster. So I'm not sure if you can still take him and another Grandmaster in in the same detachment. Uh, It is a different wording. I'm not sure, um, but um, it does have a very, they've been very deliberate there to put Supreme Grandmaster. So maybe I'm inclined to think maybe you can put you know, two in the same detachment, but, uh, do double check that before you're su- any submitting any tournament lists for me. Okay. It's got to be that brother captain, as I said before, just so much great utility to get that plus one, to cast off as much as I love Voldus, um, for me, it's Drago or Voldus, but then it's, uh, definitely that brother captain coming in second.
1: Brilliant. And then over to the troop section, um, I'll ask you, Jake, what do you think? Strike squads or terminators?
2: For me, it's just got to be the humble strike Marine, someone who didn't get a lot of love in the last edition and um, the last book, but now has got a whole ton of tricks and yeah, I love them. They've obviously got the exact same weapons as the Terminators, They're cheaper in points, but what you're getting is you're getting nearly about the only thing the Terminator gets is a flat and vulnerable save and a plus one save. Whereas, you know, same amount of attacks, exact same stat line, exact same weapons. I think it's just the strike Marine, Steve. What
0: about you? I would agree obviously you get that extra wound with the terminators but yeah for the efficiency of the strikes yeah i really like them
1: yeah they do seem very good for their points um jake any other standout units that that you liked in the codex
0: i love me
2: a brotherhood ancient yeah again another character but he's in this elite choice so what he he gives you is that plus one attack from his banner. Um, and again, like I sort of highlighted on earlier, he's also a character that, you know, you can put a warp shaping on. He's another dominance discipline character, which again, normally is limited to your HQ slots. You put a warp shaping on him, you can sit at the back of the board or in the middle of your army, giving that plus one attack. So yeah, I think he's super, super useful there. Yeah. Brilliant. Steve, what about you?
0: Well, I think one unit that I think has been looked over is still the paladins. I think there's certainly, there's some utility there because the fact that they can actually pick their powers rather than they don't come with them. Uh, which is quite nice. And also they get an extra weapon skill. So they hit on twos naturally, they come with an additional attack. So you're really getting a lot more for those paladins there. Um, but yeah, I mean, the only problem is that they don't get is a brotherhood and that's same for the purifiers because they're an honored knight. So uh, they don't get any brotherhood abilities. But one thing not to be looked over is just that, you know, like you said, the uh, the humble servitor, uh, you know, your... It's good to have a couple of these units in just to think, do things like raise banners, do a retrieve Octarius data. Because remember, if you, if you're doing an action, you then can't do a warp action. So it's good just to have these units in to maybe perform some of those other actions that you still want to do to score on the secondaries. But my favorite unit, I mean, we spoke about the Grandmaster Dread Knights and the, Dram, the Dread Knights are lot because of their damage output from their weapons. But for me, the standout pick is the Interceptors. It's like just a Silver Blood Angel, basically. It's like Sanguinary Guard, but for Grey Knights, uh, you know, just with their standard weapon, you know, strength 5, minus 3, 2 damage, moving 12, the ability to teleport is brilliant. So, um, yeah, I, I absolutely yeah. love them. They can really put the Hurt in in combat.
1: Yeah, they do seem very strong. And, I mean, this is quite a fast army now, um, quite flexible. But I think that, you know, touching back on the Nemesis Dread Knights now that they're obviously core, I think that they give you that solid sort of difficult to shift core that the army needs. So running a couple of them can always be a good choice if you want something that's going to be a bit sturdier. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add, Jake, or is, is that everything?
2: No, I think you all hit the nail on the head. I do love me that Nemesis Dread Knight, though. So yeah, but, yeah, you both yeah. nailed it.
1: Brilliant. Well, I think we'll we'll wrap up with a little gloss over the the play style in general of. The Grey Knights. Now that you've had your hands on them, both of you, Steve, what do you think? How do they feel like to play on the board?
0: I mean, they really feel like how they look, right? Um, Which is, you know, highly mobile, super strong in the psychic phase, deadly in combat, but a little bit of that elite army. So you don't need too many models. You're probably looking at about 40 to 50 models and you've got your army done, uh, which is... I, th- I think re- is really nice. You've got the ability to combat squad still. Uh, every single model is also a Psyker, uh, which is a little bit different to the Thousand Suns. So any of those Grey Knight models can cast psychic powers. So even if you do combat squad, then that's a really, really good way to just sort of double the efficiencies of where those psychic powers can come from. Um, so yeah, I think on the whole, extremely high mobile. And uh, this army scores very well on the primary because a huge amount of obsec, it scores very well on the secondaries. So if you want a high-scoring army, definitely check out the Grey Knights.
1: Yeah, brilliant. I think that they do seem like a great army to play for a beginner. And I think that they also have, although they've got a complicated extra phase with the psychic phase, once you wrap your head around it, I think that they're great. And they've got, you know, the power with the uh, secondaries that they get is really good as well.
0: Absolutely. So yeah. anyway, I think we've, I think we've absolutely smashed that. Um, thanks guys for coming on. But it's, the show's not over because now we're going to head over to our, 10 points for battle painted with siege studios and um yeah really hope you enjoy this next segment
1: with the recent release of the new gray knights codex do you have any tips for getting that perfect metallic
3: yeah um of course i mean uh, metallics right from the get-go uh, uh sometimes it uh, cannot be the the smoothest to go on um so, generally speaking, uh, there's two things. If you don't have an airbrush, then I'd recommend using a brush to paint on air metallics. They tend to obviously have thinner in them, so it means that you can get a much smoother coat. And I'd also recommend uh, using a sort of really cheap budget hair dryer to dry that paint once you've locked in on the surface that you want on the model um, it just helps uh, give a much smoother finish uh, and really sort of allows the paint to set in place uh, the miniature and um, for those of you that do have an airbrush then there's a, a vast array of really really good uh, air metallics both from Vallejo and um, scale 75 also do some really good metallics which you can thin and run through the airbrush which are also really really good the biggest problem with metallics is that they have quite a heavy body of paint because they've got the, the metallic particles plus obviously the uh the, the the medium that's in the in the paint as well um so generally speaking i'd advise to to pick some of the um uh some of the pre-thinned uh, air metallics from vallejo which are very very good um or if you are going to uh to to use uh, metallics and thin them then i'd advise maybe putting in a tiny bit of satin varnish into the mix to just sort of bond together the particles of pigment that have been thinned so they're not as separated and they do go on a lot smoother as well um but generally speaking as well with metallics i'd, I'd always recommend after you've blocked in the main color Uh, to give them uh, whether it's with a rattle can if you haven't got an airbrush or with an airbrush i would recommend to to gloss varnish them just to really sort of give a smooth overall consistent gloss finish to the armor uh, and it will just give increase the sheen of the gold or the silver or the bronze or whatever it is that you put onto the miniature Um, but that's the the key thing that i'd recommend for, for metallics when you're trying to do grey knights or any metallic miniatures
1: Amazing, yeah. I mean, the Necrons are another one where these come up a lot, and I, I've always wondered how you're supposed to properly thin metallic paints because that's always a tricky one. Because water can do some strange things to it.
3: Yeah, um, I mean, water is okay. Like um, there are vast amounts of mediums that you can use. There's uh, Windsor Newton ones. There's uh, there's obviously you can put Lamia medium into it. Um, uh, I've personally, and this is just personal, it's not factual. I've not had any problems with uh, with with uh, thinning with water before, um, but airbrush thinner is also very, very good as well. And, and some people say, oh, what about Flow Improver? Um, generally speaking, I've not really used Flow Improver for thinning that much, to be honest. So I can't really give you uh, 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 my experience with that, but I've always used either water, a medium of some sort, be it Larmium or be it a Windsor Newton one, uh, or um, or I've used the airbrush thinner, as I mentioned amazing
1: yeah that's a really good tip uh should help quite a lot of us out there
0: and then with the uh, james with the actual types of colors that you're using do you put a block color down and then edge highlight or do you kind of pick types of like planes on the model and do a lighter color of maybe a different color silver where the light you think would hit so how how do you approach that
3: yeah, I mean, uh, I would always, If you again, it all ties back to whether you've got an airbrush or you've not got an airbrush. Um, I think the choice that you make for the color of the silver or the vibrancy of the silver is totally dependent on um, on the, the tools that you've got to to, to actually use. So, for example, um, let's take the root of the painter that doesn't have an airbrush. I would uh, either rattle can the silver on um, or paint, put it on with the brush, uh, a brush as probably the last sort of out of the three airbrush, rattle can or brush, um, especially for base coating silver all over a miniature. I'd always recommend the rattle can or obviously an airbrush to get that on smooth and consistent and quick but uh for the brush painter i'd always try and rattle can a a mid-tone not your dark um and then that way you can glaze and put the shadows on the miniature where you need them and then obviously highlight appropriately with a much brighter silver um for the airbrush painter uh, obviously you can start with a dark silver do the first grade it's kind of like a zenith one wrap that onto the underside slightly just so you've got a nice transition uh from the mid-tone into the into the um into the darker sort of uh, shadow metallic color that you use, maybe a gunmetal and then use more like a mid-tone silver for the overall look of the armor in sort of natural light. And then you can go in with a much brighter silver, Um, not your brightest because obviously you still want to edge with that, but then just like a slightly brighter silver, or you can mix some of your brightest silver into your mid-tone to create that kind of in between kind of color uh, and then do that as your kind of volumetric highlight where you spray it onto the volumes just to give a bit of vibrancy to those areas and then you would edge it if that makes sense
0: brilliant yeah i absolutely love that james thank you very much for that and we'll see you next week see you on the next one as always, that was incredibly insightful from James that the amount of knowledge he's got when it comes to painting, I've, I've been not only massively inspired, but I've also learned a lot from James as well. So thank you, James, for coming on the show. And if you want to check out any of the Siege Studio aspects, then all the links will be in the blog post. But if you haven't done so do check them out on the Instagram, you'll see some of those stunning models. Um, and they're very easy to find at Siege Studios. Okay. So with that in mind, guys, I'm going to be starting to paint some gray nights Uh, Jake needs to paint some Grey Knights and um, I'm sure many of you at home will be thinking about picking up this army if we've
2: certainly done this podcast in Codex Any Justice. But Jake, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure to be able to talk about probably my favourite army in the game at the moment. And thank you, Eddie.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's been really good, you know, because I don't know as much about this Codex as you guys, so it's been good to put your brains on it.
0: And uh, hopefully you Listeners have found out a little bit more about some of the strengths, the weaknesses. Um, and on the Academy, we're going to certainly be talking about how to actually combat and beat the Grey Knights. One of those being the lessons, which is pick your secondary, as well. We throw the Grey Knights um, up and then we help our students basically go over each of their armies, telling them what sort of secondaries and things to look out for to beat the Grey Knights. So if you want to learn more about how to actually defeat them, head over to Vanguard Tactics Academy and give it a try. So anyway, we'll see you next week on the Competitive 40k podcast. See you later.